Uh, today we're going to be reading from Matthew's gospel. Um, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 10. We're reading verses 34 through 39. Uh, we're in the middle of a series this summer called uh, Troublesome Bible Passages or Difficult Bible Passages, where each week we're looking at passages that are challenging. So um, today's passage is going to be one that uh, some of you asked me before. I said, hey, what are you talking about today? And I said, ooh, that, I said that. There's like, ooh, that's interesting. So we'll see how we, uh, I told somebody, I said, I'm not going to say I'm going to perfectly explain what I am saying. I'm going to give you what I think it means. So we're going to be reading Matthew um, 10, verses 34 through 39. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. This is the word of God of the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, one of the, my favorite classes I've ever taught in church uh, was, it was a Sunday school class I taught a few years back, well, probably a couple of decades back now, when I was at Ripley, and it was just entitled Books That Have Influenced Me. And I spent time talking about the books that really have made an indelible mark upon my life. Books such as um, Brendan Manning wrote a phenomenal book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. If you've not read the Ragamuffin Gospel, you need to add it to your reading list. I read it in college, and it, more so than any book I've ever read, helped me to understand the concept of grace. And I have spent, up until that point, and probably even after, spent most of my life trying to earn God's love instead of receive God's love. For most of my life, my image of God was that he was a really angry Colonel Sanders. He was an old man in heaven with a long white beard, and he did not like me. God was not a fan of mine. That's how I spent most of my life thinking, because I felt like I messed up so often, and I did so many things wrong, that for most of my life, I thought God was really kind of in heaven with lightning bolts ready to zap me when I messed up. What's interesting, if you compare the image of God that I had in my head to the God of Scripture, you know who my God really resembled? Zeus, he was an old man in heaven who didn't like me, who had lightning, who could zap me. When in scripture we see a God who is abundant with kindness and mercy. We see a God who Jonah didn't want to go preach to his enemies because Jonah just knew God was going to forgive him. And Jonah wanted God to smite him, not forgive him. So the ragamuffin gospel kind of impressed that upon me. Another book that was very influential to me was a, a little collection of sermons by John Wesley called The Nature of Holiness. That whenever I, whenever I wasn't sure, I knew I was called to ministry, but I wasn't sure what denomination I was supposed to be a part of. So a friend of mine who was, who was a Methodist uh, preacher, I grew up Methodist, but I kind of, as I tell folks, you know, we all, we all rebelled during college. So like all of you, I rebelled during college, and so I joined the Baptist church. And so that's funny. Y'all can laugh at that. You're allowed to laugh. So whenever, whenever I was trying to decide what, what denomination I was going to be a part of in my ministry, I read this little book 
of Wesley's sermons called On the Nature of Holiness. And I read it and said, oh, that's what I am. Okay, I know what I am now. I, whatever that guy believes is what I believe. So that kind of led me back to the Methodist Church. Just a short little collection of, of some of Wesley's sermons. But probably the two most impactful books I've ever read, outside of Scripture, obviously, were two kind of books that Philip Yancey wrote back in the 90s. Uh, one was called What's So Amazing About Grace? And it's a classic. You've probably read it at some point, or it, we got copies on the church bookshelf. It, it, it kind of has the same themes as What's So Amazing, as the Ragamuffin Gospel, about God's amazing grace and how grace works and how it simply is amazing to talk about grace because we sing amazing grace, but I don't know if we ever stop and think about how truly awesome it is that God loves a broken person like me. That I'm imperfect and I mess up every day and I fail. And God still radically loves me, not because I've earned it, but because he has given it. What's so amazing about grace really helped that shift in my mind to understand that grace was not a thing to be earned, but it was a gift to be received. If we can ever, y'all, make that switch in our mind from knowing that, from living from a concept that grace is to be earned, if we can ever make the shift to the biblical concept that grace is not something that is earned, but that grace is received. Paul says the wages of sin is death. The wages are what you earn. The wages we've earned is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages we've earned is death, sin, consequences. But the gift of God, grace, is a gift. You don't earn your birthday gift. Your mama earned that. It's a gift. So, along with that, Yancey's other book of that same concept was a book that you need to read if you've not read it called The Jesus I Never Knew. Fabulous book. Because what that book did was that book did this. It said, hey, who is Jesus? But let's not think about what we've always been taught about Jesus. Let's do something crazy. Let's actually read the Bible and, says what the, and see what the Bible says about Jesus. So the Jesus I Never Knew was a, was a book that Yancey wrote where basically he went and read the Bible and saw what it actually said about Jesus. Not who he was taught Jesus was, but what does Scripture actually tell us about who Jesus was? And here's what happens. When you actually read a gospel, or actually read about who Jesus was and is, y'all, it'll mess with your head. I mean, it'll mess you up. If you actually read about who Jesus was, not about who you think he is, and not about who the preacher told you he was, but what does the Bible actually say? Because, for instance, we know, we, we know deep in our souls that all Jesus wants for us is to be happy. That's really it, right? Jesus is basically like a big, fluffy, warm pillow in heaven. Who wants us to sit in his lap and just be warm and fuzzy, bringing us sweet drinks possibly or maybe chocolate. 
That's who Jesus is, right? Jesus really ultimately is kind of just basically our fairy godmother, our genie in heaven, who really all Jesus wants for us is to grant our wishes and for us to be happy, right? That's what culture tells us, right? Hmm. I mean, Jesus is all about peace at all times. Jesus is all about everything being easy at all times. That's what Jesus is about, right? Hmm. And then we read a passage like today where Jesus says this. I did not come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. I've come to divide father from son and mother from daughter and father-in-law from son-in-law and daughter-in-law from mother-in-law. I have not come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. Man, this whole faith thing would be easier if that chapter wasn't in there, wouldn't it? See, I like the parts of the Bible that make me feel good. Those are the good parts. Man, I could do me some Romans 8, 28 all day. That's good stuff right there, man. Do me some Jeremiah 29, 11. Ooh, come on now. I could do that all day long. But today... I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does Jesus mean by that? What is Jesus telling us when he says, I've come to bring peace, but not a sword? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Was Jesus, and y'all, the way we interpret the Bible, y'all didn't hear this. I talked about this last week in traditional. One of the important things we do to interpret the Bible, it's very important. This is a, this is a basic biblical interpretation concept. Um, the way we interpret the Bible, one of, the ways we, one of the best ways to interpret the Bible is this. We interpret the Bible through the lenses that we wear. You interpret the parts of the Bible that you don't understand via the things that you do understand. Wesley said scripture contains all things necessary for salvation and all things necessary for salvation are made plain within. What does that mean? If it is so important, y'all, if it is so important that your eternal salvation depends upon it, if your eternity rests upon it, God's not going to make it complicated, okay? God is not playing hide and seek with his will. God's not trying to trip you up. God's not trying to get you. Now, the Bible says, seek and you shall find, knock the door will be opened to you. God wants us to seek and God wants us to knock and God wants us to work. But God is not playing hide and seek with his will, y'all. God's not trying to trip you up. He's really not. So, the way we interpret the passages that are difficult like this one is we look at it through the lenses of what we do understand. For me... John 3.16 is one of the primary lenses that I'll look at all the Bible through. John 3.16 is the glasses I put on when I read the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world. That means everybody. That means the folks I like, the folks I don't like. And he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would not perish. 
That means we have a response to make to that. We can choose to believe. We can choose to reject. And then there's consequences based off our choices. But God's going to give us grace. And God's going to give us mercy. And God's going to give us opportunity. And then to the spirit, the ball's in our corner. What do we do with it? So today, I did not come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. Okay, well, let's look at other times in the Bible when there are swords involved with Jesus. Well, how about our boy Peter? Remember that story? That's good stuff right there, man. I feel me some Peter. When Jesus is praying in the garden and the Romans come to arrest him and Judas betrays him with a kiss, what does our boy Peter do? He goes to making chopped salad with somebody's ear. Takes the sword off, chops the guy's ear off. What's Jesus do? He's going, a boy, Peter. <laughs> That's right. You were paying attention, weren't you? Yeah, you got it. Now, what did he do? He took the ear and healed it and put Peter's sword away. But Jesus, you said a sword. What are you talking about? What is Jesus telling us here when he says, I have, did not come to bring peace, but a sword? I think what Jesus is telling us is this. Jesus is demanding, y'all, that we make a choice. The one thing that will not abide in the kingdom of God is apathy. I truly think Jesus would rather us reject him and turn and walk away than he would us be apathetic about our choice to follow him. I do not think Jesus is desirous of us to make an apathetic, half-hearted choice to follow. C.S. Lewis has this great thing called liar, lunatic, or Lord. He says, Jesus, when you read the scriptures, the Bible tells us that Jesus believed that he was the Messiah. There's evidence all over scripture. So, who is Jesus? Lewis said, well, perhaps Jesus is a liar. Said the one thing, Lewis said, the one thing Jesus can't simply be is a good man. Being, Jesus being a good man is not an option. Because when you read the scriptures, he believed he was the Messiah. So either he was a liar, and you aren't going to base your words around the words of a liar. Maybe he's just messing with us. Maybe he was a lunatic saying, well, he really thought he was the son of God, but he really wasn't. Or actually was the son of God. The only way Jesus' words can have any relevance in our life is if he tr is truly who he says he is. Because if he's lying to us, his words aren't of value. Because you're not going to build your life around a liar. If he's a crazy person, you aren't going to build your life around a crazy person. The only way Jesus' words have any actual validity to living our life is if he is truly who he says he is. And that is Lord. The one thing we cannot be in our faith is apathetic. It's better for us to turn and walk away. It's better for us to take the path of the rich young ruler who saw the consequence of following Jesus and said, nope, not for me. He turned away and walked away. The one thing Jesus will not allow for us is apathy. He did not come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword.
I truly think it's better for us to reject him than it is for us to be apathetic towards him. Because as the Bible says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. He will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I know you not. Because we didn't really mean it. Jesus demands that we make a choice, y'all. He demands that we choose. He demands, and he's going to respect our choice. He's going to, you know, if you choose to reject him, he will let you. He will let you reject. That's your decision. It's not what he wants. But he'll let you. He demands daily that we choose. Daily that we follow. Daily that we find our life in him. Because what this world's going to do, y'all, what this world's going to, this world's going to whisper to us, that's how, as, as, as Stephanie told us in our children's moment, this world's going to whisper to us that life is found somewhere else. Life is found in family. Life is found in friends. Life is found in donuts. And all those things are amazing. And I love family, friends, and donuts. But they do not equal salvation. Only Jesus Christ equals salvation. Only Jesus Christ is where life is found. Only Jesus Christ is where our purpose is found. Only Jesus Christ is where our, where our identity is found. Only Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ demands that we choose. And y'all, here's the thing. When we choose to follow Jesus, that's going to make folks mad. And here's the thing, y'all. Here's the crazy thing about following Jesus. That's going to make all kind of folk mad. That's going to make lost folk mad. Because we're not living like them. Because we don't have the same worldview or the same mind or the same actions or the same thoughts. That's going to make lost folk mad because we're choosing not to engage in the life that they are choosing to engage in. However, that's going to make church folk mad too. Some folk, sometimes church folk get mad at us following Jesus and lost folk. Because it's not about church it's about Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about Jesus. It's not about how we vote or what we listen to or where we go. It's about this. Have you chosen to follow Jesus Christ with all that you are? Because that's the only thing that matters. Jesus came to make us choose. Follow. Reject. It's your choice. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And far too often, far too often, we live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church and have neither feet on Jesus. It's about following him. You know, there's that great passage in... Um, in Revelation, where um, it says, be hot or cold, not lukewarm. There's a, I was talking, we were talking about in my Sunday school class I'm teaching on Sunday mornings right now, we're talking about how to read the Bible. We're talking about understanding the Bible in terms of the actual context of where it is. So when we hear hot or cold, what we think of as, ooh, hot's good and cold's bad. That's not what John the Revelator is talking about. In the Roman world, Romans loved endurance. Man, they were all about some endurance mess. They loved that kind of mess. 
they saw, they would go to the Roman bathhouses, the Roman gyms, and they would have one, one pool as hot as you could stand it. One pool as cold as you could stand it. And what you would do is you would stay, you'd get in the hot pool, and you'd stay in it as long as you could physically stand it. Then you'd get up, you'd run to the cold pool, and you'd stay in there as long as you could physically stand it. For the Romans, it was about testing your physical endurance. That's what they were trying to accomplish. So hot or cold, it didn't matter. Those both had validity. But what would happen is, you know, if you've ever been to a swimming pool, when you're doing cannonballs, water's going to start running out of the pool. So as people got in and out of the pool, the water from the hot and from the cold would kind of run together to a basin where it would kind of pull together, and it would be lukewarm. And the lukewarm water served no purpose. The hot water served a purpose. The cold water served a purpose. The lukewarm water served no purpose. It was simply there. So Jesus is saying, choose one of these paths, but do not choose the path that has no purpose. Because that path is not worth anything. Today he tells us, y'all, this passage, this hard passage, passage I don't like. Like I said, I'd, I'd be perfectly fine if the Bible was just all rainbows and unicorns. Man, that'd make me happy. But today we're told, choose. I did not come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. And you must lay down your life for my sake to be worthy of me. Now, here's the cool thing, y'all. You know what happens when we choose? That's when we have peace. So often we have lives of anxiety and lives of stress Lives of worry, lives of fear, lives of doubt, lives of whatever, because we haven't fully chosen to commit to follow. We follow because our friends do. We follow because what's in the South is what good people do. We follow because it's what's expected of me. We follow because our parents make us. We follow because we want to impress the coworkers. We follow for so many reasons. And so we find our faith not really alive because our faith hasn't really made a choice. Choose. Choose. The beautiful thing about our Savior is this. I love the story of the prodigal son. When you read that passage, the prodigal son did everything wrong you could do. He got what was coming. He, that fella, he got what was coming to him. He basically goes to his dad and says, he, he, the text says, he went to his father and said, I want what is of my inheritance now. You know what he actually told his daddy? Hey, I wish you were dead. Why don't you just hurry up and die and give me your stuff? That's not a real good Father's Day card. So he does it, and the father gives it to him, and he wastes all the father's hard work. All the years of work the father labored for. He wasted it all. And he comes to his senses. You know what he does? He chooses to humble himself. He chooses to walk home. 
And what does he find whenever he returns home? The Father waiting for him. And in fact, it's quite interesting. Philip Yancey, in that book I told you about, The Jesus I Never Knew, he actually read that story of the prodigal son with a bunch of Middle Eastern men and asked them, what in the story of the prodigal son stood out to them? Like what, when they read the story of the prodigal son, what in that story really jumped off the page of them? And every one of these Middle Eastern men said this. The fact that the text says that the father ran to the son. In that culture, running for a man is embarrassing. It is humiliating. Children and dogs run. Grown men do not run in that culture. It is beneath you. What does the text say that the father did when the son started coming home? He ran to meet him. You serve a God who will embarrass himself with the amount of love that he has for you. The amount of grace he has for you. The amount of peace he has for you. You are loved that radically. But y'all, say we're told this. We got to choose. I did not come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. I've come to bring division. We got to choose. So today, friends, what will we choose to do? May we choose to follow our Savior always, always. Let's pray.